Well, this is Pastor George here with the Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen. I'm here with Ruling Elder Kevin Miller. Kevin is a Ruling Elder with me here at Meadowview, and we just got back from General Assembly, uh, actually just like a half hour ago, and we figured while it's still fresh in our minds, and that way we can just enjoy our families this weekend without uh, thinking about doing an update, we wanted to do an update both for our congregation and for anybody else that's interested in update on the General Assembly, which is the 50th General Assembly, as I've been saying on uh, this podcast. So, uh, well, first of all, Kevin, thank you and welcome for being with us. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. So Kevin's a, a new ruling elder. He was ordained what month? March, I believe. March. Okay. So training all last year, but he has been on the slate and being uh, discipled for years here at Meadowview. He is basically a, a child of Meadowview. When did you get here? When you were in high school? Um, well, I first started attending off and on and when I was ninth grade of high school, so that would have been the mid to late 90s. Okay, good. And you are how old now? 40. Okay, yes. And Kevin ma married uh, Amy um, Owen. I was going to say Miller, but she's Miller now. Amy Mil uh, Owen, who is grew up in the church, baptized in the church? Yes. Yes. So great covenant family uh, from really some of the founders of, of Meadowview. So this was your first GA, right? Yes. Uh, I watched a fair bit of last year's live stream. So, okay. but no, well, and I, when, uh, GA was in Greensboro in 2017, I did attend a worship service. That's right. Cause Piedmont tried Presbytery hosted general assembly. Uh, I guess that's six years ago now, five years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, before my time, before I was started attending general assemblies. So what we want to do on this, this show, this call, this recording is talk about some of our impressions of this general assembly. But then also go through, I was trying to make a top 10 list for General Assembly this year, but really there, uh, there's probably about 15 things. So we will go through some of the key decisions because many people want to know like what was done at General Assembly. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And I will be able to put some of the text on the screen if you're watching it on YouTube. But for the most part, uh, you will just be uh, be listening probably on uh, as a podcast. So uh, Kev, is your first... General Assembly, what was it like? What were some impressions? Well, after watching last year's live stream, it was the the main assembly was very much I was like I expected. So things that they don't live stream, like the committee of commissioners meetings, the overtures committee, that's very new. And it was good to you know that's where you know the sausage gets made, as they would say, <laughs> and. That's where all these overtures get hammered out and language gets refined. So that was a very much a learning experience. And um, so outside of that sort of business of the church, there's a lot of relational stuff that happens at these GAs. So you meet other ruling elders, other teaching elders from other parts of the country, make connections, you go out to dinner. Um, so there's a lot of relational stuff that happens. So. And this is the only time of the year that sort of the whole denomination gathers and gets to experience that all together. So that part was was great. Yeah, phenomenal. I think, I, I don't remember the exact count. I think it was 2,200 commissioners. Commissioners at General Assembly are those commissioned by their churches to to vote. Now, ruling elders would need to be commissioned by their churches. All the teaching elders, uh, the, who you typically call your pastors or your reverends, we can all go and, and vote. And so 2,200 people. Now you are, 
Uh, you're online, you're on social media, and so what did you? What was it like? Did you know people at General? It's your first one. Yeah, You've only so been... there's a handful. Uh, well, first of all, I knew a handful of people from our presbytery, from, from the presbytery meetings, So That's right. and they were there, so that was great. I'd already seen them face-to-face, but then there's quite a few others who I'd met online and had never met face-to-face, so it was just great to put you know, a face to a name and or an avatar that you see, <laughs> you see online and, you know, to actually sit down and have conversations. Uh, it's just, it's really good. It's encouraging to know that there's other people that, that are walking the same walk, dealing with the same um, issues, having the same questions. So it's, that aspect is just really encouraging. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what, I mean, I, I love going to General Assembly. It's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of, it's morning to night. I mean, I, I can't seem to wake up early enough. I go to bed way too late. We're in meetings all day. We worship, and the worship was just phenomenal. But there's just such a brotherhood, mm-hmm. band of brothers across the denomination, and it, it's really neat. And, uh, you know, the social media thing. So I was meeting a lot of people. Some people watch or listen to the show, so they're coming up to us, and they're, uh, they're they're saying hey I, I listen to Presbyterian Reformed Churchmen and I start talking to them and I'm like right, so are you on Twitter and they're like yeah I'm like well, what's your what's your handle what's your name which I don't know if Twitter's called the handle but then I I look them up and I'm like oh yeah I know you like and then all of a sudden like because of their avatar or whatever yeah I, I know who they are so that was that was great um, this is only my third General Assembly but uh, I I've jumped right into piece, uh, to the polity of our of our church. I, I actually moderated the South Florida Presbytery meeting. Uh, it's ple- Presbytery for a year, and South Florida is a good sized Presbytery, so I have some Roberts Rules background. But man, GA is a machine, and it just yeah. it moves. And I got to tell you, like the feeling this year was uh, it was a special. It was the 50th anniversary. It was the 50th general assembly so they fell on because it should be the 51st but with 2020 we uh, we didn't have 2020 but just there was a different vibe a different feeling not a lot of controversy coming into this general assembly and we've been dealing with uh, the side b issue since 2018 i guess as a denomination and and that seems to have simmered down there was a lot more kinship and friendship in the assembly Mm -hmm. i thought and uh, we even we got to play basketball early Wednesday morning before yeah. business. That was, and we play. And we, what was cool was, you didn't know what side of the spectrum. You know, I don't like, don't want to talk about sides, but there's there's a spectrum of views, a spectrum in the PCA. And 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 we were just playing basketball with almost twenty guys. We had two full court games going, and I didn't know where guys fell. It was just brothers playing ball. You know? Yeah, those those like, again, those relational uh, situations are great. Just to you bond over different shared interests, but you know you have this this common bond of a shared faith that binds you, no matter what you know what your your uh, differences are. And then you expand expand that into something like basketball, and it just even deepens those those bonds with with brothers. Yeah, yeah, good. So we want to talk about some of of, of what was communicated at, at General Assembly, and I'm going to link. So first of all, we're talking through a draft of a of a document that will probably be on irreverentreverend.com, uh, my my blog and website. It might be on Metaphys website. It probably will be. And in that, there will be links to a lot of a lot of things. So I'll link to like the clerk's report, for instance. But I was really encouraged that the PCA in its 50th anniversary, 50th year, is growing. 
and and that might like you know 20 years ago denominations should grow you know mm-hmm. and especially the PCA was was growing i mean the first general assembly 50 years ago had only a couple hundred commissioners and now we're 10 times the size of mm-hmm. voting people and man did the administrative committee do a good job of 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 just getting things set up and moving i mean that's a lot of people to try to have discussion with you know yeah and and dr chapel mentioned that there were a couple years after post 2020 where there was some slight decline which happened everywhere but then this past year we're back to that slow steady growth that we've been experiencing for really since our founding right right and so yeah and and even before 2020 when you would see i think ligonier ministries and lifeway would do a survey although maybe it came from barna or something but like just the growth of denominations and most denominations were stagnant or or kind of losing membership but the pca had this steady growth and that was so encouraging and then 2020 hit and like everybody uh there there was a hit there and especially it took a year or two to kind of settle out and i remember there were reports the pca is shrinking and it was so silly it was after 2020 but here we are mm-hmm. uh we're growing i wish i had the numbers in front of us but we're almost 400,000 members in the mostly in the us we do have actual membership and 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 people outside as missionaries and and even churches that are associated with presbyteries here yeah actually the the uh the guy that got the basketball game together was from a church in canada and like i never had even thought of the PCA in Canada, and mm. then you make this connection through a guy who likes to, to play ball, and now you know that you know the PCA is in Canada. Mm-hmm. It even came up on the assembly floor that you know Canada is, is a part of this denomination. Yes, yeah, good point. Well, I mean, we I forget where where in Europe there was a church. I want to say Germany, Stuttgart, Germany, maybe, and, and that's that's actually that church is a part of a presbytery in. Maybe in Greenville, so oh, I, I don't know how that. I I don't, know that. Yeah, I don't know how that works, and I I know there's a church in South Florida Presbytery that's in the Cayman Islands. So uh, there's some, you know, there there's the the PCA has is beyond just the borders of the continental U.S. for sure, and I don't remember if he said there was 400 RUF chapters and how many mich- MTW missionaries we have around the world. I don't there recall was hundreds those of RUF. Just good things are happening in the denomination, and. Really, how I characterize this general assembly is almost the. And this this is this word depending on where you're at is either going to feel is going to either rub you wrong or it's going to be good. But it really was an assembly for increased transparency and accountability, and you see that in a lot of the decisions that were made. A lot of the 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 actions coming out of committee meetings was really to kind of strengthen and shore up transparency in our agencies and committees, and so. You know, I remember Al Palmer Robertson, Dr. Robertson, sharing with me on a few occasions, even on these episodes, how when the PCA was formed, they they really viewed as the agencies and the seminaries of the PCUS as taking the denomination liberal. And so when the PCA was formed, they said that those agencies and committees would report to the assembly and actually have to answer to the assembly. And that's when you have this committee of commissioners that we go and we are on a committee as a commissioner to review, it's called review and control, but to review and to actually, we can actually make motions based on permanent committees. Yeah, and a lot of people may not know that that really half of the assembly is this review and control. Yeah. So the main assembly body where everyone's together voting on these different items is really only half. It's really mostly Wednesday and Thursday of 
the week. And the Monday and Tuesday is primarily taken up with this review and control. And and that's one of the things that was sort of new to me is really how much time is spent at, at a general assembly in doing this reviewing of you know everything from RUF to MTW to you know all these different agencies and committees covenant college covenant seminary yes, that are, yeah they're per, they're called permanent committees meaning that you know they exist without uh, any definite end to them and so every year they're their minutes of their meetings, uh, any cha- you know major changes to their policies, their budgets, everything gets reviewed by the assembly. So there's that transparency and accountability that um, our founders wanted in order to avoid what had happened in the previous denomination that we left. Yes, yes, and and that that was when you said that it was like duh, I should have thought of that. Like you're, we got there Sunday night and all day Monday and all day Tuesday were committee of commissioners meetings. Yes, the Overtures Committee, but the individual committees, like I served on the Administrative Committee of Commissioners, and we had five Overtures before us, and and we had to review Mm -hmm. the budget, and we had to review the minutes of the AC. Which which, uh, COC did you? I was on the CDM, so that's um, the committee that covers a lot of uh, literature and resources, and it's the Committee for Discipleship Ministries. Yes. I believe that's the name, but it, uh, so everything from... um, is that what the C is? I, I, I often admit my ignorance on, on yeah, this. I so, mean, so, but it's definitely discipleship ministries. The C yeah, is so, probably committee. So they do everything. They actually publish some books. Bible and, study materials. Yes, like, um, you know, programs for women's ministry, men's ministry. And then they do a lot of actually, and this was something they emphasized, connecting churches and and members of churches to the resources. So in addition to producing their resources, they spend a lot of time in making sure people get the appropriate resources right. and get training in those resources. You can actually get certifications from them in in different areas. So, uh, you know, to teach, you know, what children's ministry. For yes, instance. right. So, okay, so then to the assembly, which started Tuesday evening. So we got there Sunday evening, the actual meeting of all the commissioners, the 2,000 of us, began Tuesday evening, and things opened up with a bang, really. So uh, the moderator from last year, John Bice, he opened the assembly up. John is just a wonderful guy. I I hope you'll go back in the episodes here and and see my interview with John Bice, who really kind of helped us understand what the moderator does and how the assembly would kick off, and he opened us up. Uh, He he banged the hammer for me. (laughs) The gavel, the gavel. And so...
If you would, please come to order. The 50th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America is hereby in session. Let us worship our mighty God. We went to an election of a moderator, and uh, I actually filmed and recorded and, and uh, released that two episodes or three episodes ago. You can hear the speeches for moderators. So who was, who was nominated for moderator? So it was Fred Greco and... Randy, Randy Pope. Pope, yes, yes. From, so, from Perimeter Church. This moderator teaching Elder David Screen, the Presbytery of the Mississippi Valley, I rise to place into nomination the name of teaching Elder Fred Greco of the Houston Metro Presbytery. May I proceed, sir? Please do, sir. Voting is now closed. I declare Fred Greco to be elected as the moderator of the 50th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please join me in welcoming your new moderator. Fathers and brothers, thank you so much for this honor of serving you in this way. I hope you can all hear me in the back? <laughs> just, just want to make sure. Um, I have been blessed to be surrounded by many who have encouraged me and who have spurred me on to service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my Lord and Savior most for all that he has equipped me to do as I have been in the pastorate and previously as an elder. It is by the grace of God and the Spirit of God that any of us have any ability to do anything. Interesting story about uh, Fred Greco is, so like we've said, Monday and Tuesday was primarily Committee of Commissioners meetings, but it doesn't take up 100% of the time. So what a lot of people do is they'll sit in on the Overtures Committee, which is one of the most important committees. And so I was sitting in on the Overtures Committee, and lo and behold, Fred Greco comes in. At that time, he has, was yet to be elected moderator, but he sits in front of me and gives me commentary on the Overtures Committee. So as a first-time commissioner, anyone who hasn't been yet, I would highly recommend that you have the moderator comment on the Overtures Committee and explain <laughs> what's going on, why it's going on, where they go wrong. And I, so I was able Didn't to he give a you a warning when he sat yes, down with he you? gave me a warning that I was going to get commentary. And I was like, well, that's what <laughs> he I'm here for. He sat down next to him and he said, you're going to hear some commentary. Because uh, if you know Fred, he, he can't I got a heads himself. up on every uh, point of order that was coming. And procedural thing, yes, yes. yes. And uh, I don't know, some people may take, I, I know what you mean about it's the most important committee. Some people may take exception to that. It's one of the most highly watched there's a lot of interest in what's going on in the Overtures Committee because all year long, particularly the last six months, presbyteries, sessions, and even individuals are submitting overtures to the General Assembly. Overtures are requests for actions from the Assembly to make every, do everything from provide clarity, make statements, to change policies, to change our Constitution. And so when these overtures go up, you, there was like over there was like 30 of them. I don't know the exact number this year. And you can imagine trying to get 2,000 men to try to discuss on the floor of General Assembly 30 different measures that are very detailed, constitutional changes and everything else. So rather than, than do that, they go to a committee called the Overtures Committee where they, about 100 and I don't know the number, over 100, people discuss it and talk about it and wrestle with it and make a recommendation to the assembly. Go ahead. So 
one interesting thing that's particular to the overtures committee is that it has the potential to have twice as many commissioners on the committee because every presbytery can actually send two commissioners to an overtures committee, whereas the other committee of commissioners, only one potential representative. That's right. But not every uh, presbytery sends their entire complement. So if they did, there would be, uh, there's 88 presbyteries, so there would be 176. There's your uh, engineer in mind, yes. Yeah, so, but there's not that many. They don't all come, but there's somewhere around 120, I believe. Right. Uh, and so the Overtures Committee will make the recommendations to the Assembly. Most of them are not controversial. And so they will will vote on omnibus, which means in, in omnibus or in gross, meaning we will take these 10 votes all in one vote and vote yes or no. And typically, most of the overtures get handled like that, and maybe 5 to 10 get pulled out and discussed. But, but we've jumped ahead. So Fred Greco and Randy Pope, and you can watch those speeches on a couple episodes ago. I, I put them on there. But Fred Greco, a, a, a friend, a godly man, a churchman, but a man who knows his polity uh, was elected, and he was just, he was a fun moderator. He was a really organized moderator. He got us out by 4, 4.30 on Thursday, and, and the assembly, like, a couple of years ago, went to, like, midnight, I think, on Thursday. So, And we had a lot to do, so uh, it, w- it was good. He did it. He was, win- dare I say, winsome, yeah, yet straightforward. He, he did. <laughs> I, I, thought, I felt, again, I don't have much to compare him to, but... I felt like he brought just the right amount of levity to yes, the, that's the, to the situation without, you know, letting without things breaking. just dissolve down into, right. into uh, without uh, organization. So, yes. Yeah, he, it was great. Yeah, so that, that, was, that was really good. And uh, the next was that we went to was we passed, um, I might be pulling it up now, we passed the overtures from last year. And so why don't you explain how that works? So... Any overture that changes our Constitution, which would be the Westminster Confession or the Book of Church Order, which is really just the Book of Church Order that these address. So when it gets passed by the assembly that the overtures brought to, were brought to, which in this case were last year's 2022 overtures, they have to then pass two-thirds of all the presbyteries. So all the presbyteries throughout the year in between the vote from last year and this year's General Assembly have been voting on these different overtures, only the ones that passed and pertain to BCO changes. And if they pass at least two-thirds of the presbyteries, they come back to the Assembly on the following year for a final uh, approval vote, which which just requires a simple majority. And, I mean, I don't know the history on this to know if it's ever happened that they've been passed by the Assembly, been passed by two-thirds of the presbyteries and then been defeated at the following assembly. I, it's theoretically possible, but it would be a highly unusual situation. So in this year, all the overtures from last year uh, passed easily. Um, the ones that passed the presbyteries. So, were you going to just go through the ones that actually passed? Yeah, just just a couple of them. So, a couple things on that. Last year's the overtures that passed at last year's general assembly. All of them except for two, passed the presbyteries. All but two. Uh, Overture 15 didn't. I believe it was Overture 8. One was... uh, Overture 15 was disqualifying men who self-professed to be homosexuals from office. Uh, That failed the presbyteries this last year. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Mm -hmm. And then Overture 8, which was about how 
the SJC or any court can assume original jurisdiction over a case. So think of like how a Supreme Court can get a case to it. That had failed. So everything else passed, and they passed this assembly. And I just want to talk about it. it is significant. Overture 29 modifies BCO 16.4, and it reads this way. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. While office bearers will see spiritual perfection only in glory, they will continue in this life to confess and to mortify remaining sins in light of God's work of progressive sanctification. Therefore, to be qualified for office, they must affirm the sinfulness of fallen desires, the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, and be committed to the pursuit of spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions. This is a good, this is a good statement about our sinful, our fallen sin nature, and then the hope of progressive sanctification. And so that is now in the Book of Church Order. We voted on it last year, it passed the Presbyterians, and it is now a part of our Constitution. And then the next one was Overture 31. And I'll let you read that. So Overture 31 uh, is ordination requirements and procedures. Yeah, so this modifies BCO 21-4, uh, Section E. And it says, In the examination of the candidate's personal character, the Presbytery shall give attention to potential notorious concerns. Careful attention must be given to his practical struggle against sinful actions as well as to persistent sinful desires. The candidate must give clear testimony of reliance upon his union with Christ and the benefit thereof by the Holy Spirit, depending on this work of grace to make progress over sin and to bear fruit. While imperfection will remain, when confessing sins and sinful temptations publicly, the candidate must exercise great care not to diminish the seriousness of those sins in the eyes of the congregation as though they were matters of little consequence, but rather should testify to the work of the Holy Spirit and his progress in holiness. So not all of this is... By the way, let me just, sorry to interrupt you, and it, and it references 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 to in, in the in the statement, there's a number of uh, scripture references in this, which are important because those have been a part of this conversation. Yeah, good. So not all of this language is new. This is not an entirely new section, but there's additional language that has been added that similar to the previous uh, overture, the uh, 29, in that it emphasizes uh, progressive sanctification. The fact that we're not sinless as believers um, and in this case, this is uh, candidates for ordination. Even they're not sinless, but they do expect to make progress in their sanctification. Okay. So another overture that passed, we're not going to go through them all. Last year there was, there was quite a few overtures, but this one I think is, is significant. Is It allows for victims of cases of abuse in court processes where the, the person they're accusing is on trial, it gives them accommodations, the one who has been abused, so that they don't have to be in the presence of the alleged abuser while they're giving their testimony. So it says, a court may at the request of either party or its own initiative make reasonable accommodation to prevent in-person contact with the accused. The court may have testimony taken by video conference. B is the court may restrict the accused from appearing on the video conference screen. And when the accused is represented by counsel, cross-examination shall be conducted by that counsel. So, 
So what do you think the significance of, of the, that abuse one that passed? So that interesting, that was actually from 2021. The reason it didn't get dealt with at the 2021 General Assembly was because that's when they commissioned the DASA report, the abuse report, which was presented at 2022. And immediately then this overture was taken up. It's passed the presbyteries. And now it's in our Book of Church order to give victims of abuse protections mm -hmm. when they're, uh, it w which helps people be able to come forward and really protects them. Yeah, so often, you know, victims of abuse, especially in more extreme cases, even being in, you know, even seeing or being in the presence of their abuser, would that alone could prevent them from, you know, if they knew they had to face that, they wouldn't come forward. They would, yeah. And, and this allows that protection, allows them to give their testimony and uh, provide all the evidence without having to face them, you know. And, and sometimes even, you know, abuser can manipulate the victim even by, by look, you know, they don't have to be alone in a room. They can do it because of past history just by, you know, visual interaction with, with. That's right. And it could bring up trauma. It could create trauma and yes. remind of trauma. And, and so that is good. And I think the reason why I wanted to highlight that is there were some new overtures this year related to uh, the the DASA report, the abuse report recommendations that did not pass the General mm -hmm. Assembly. I don't know if some were referred back or, but, and, and the way it's being painted, the narrative around it is that we don't care about abuse. Well, this was an action by this General Assembly mm -hmm. to ratify and put in our constitution protections for victims of abuse so that they can come forward and we can take them seriously and we can love them through that. And it, it passed the presbyteries overwhelmingly. I mean, it was it needed two-thirds and it got, I, I don't know. Only three, that. I think, yeah. failed it yeah, or something. So. Right. And so when, when you hear any kind of commentary around, well, the PCA doesn't care for abuse victims, and, and I'm not saying we don't have more work to do around this and that there hasn't been egregious acts in the denomination. But the fact that an overture fails at the General Assembly the first time it comes is not evidence that the Assembly doesn't care about it. All the provisions in the overture to change the Constitution are discussed. If the language isn't right, it could actually harm abuse victims. Yes. And so uh, you got to keep that in mind as, as we're going to be, I'm sure, painted as, as failing some of these other ones that we, we are you know, we don't care about these things, which is just not, just not true. So we'll, we'll continue to move on. So those overtures passed and this was Tuesday night. And then overture seven came to the, uh, the floor right away. And the reason that overture seven came to the floor Tuesday night, because overtures are typically dealt with a little bit later in the assembly was because it was a rule of assembly operations change an RAO change and RAO changes are handled at the beginning of the assembly once they're passed, they go into effect immediately. They don't go to the presbyteries, and so it's important to get that information before the assembly really gets going because it might affect it. And what this overture, this was so, uh, not controversial, but like it had the ability to cause a lot of confusion. It was sent to 11 different committees or agencies to review before the assembly, and everybody, all 11 were making different recommendations. So this one was interesting being a, first-time commissioner because it was complicated it was and it's not that it it was really a contentious issue in that other than people disagreed on how you know uh, according to our the RAO or in our Constitution how it should be handled who should handle it who should get the the say so in you know who, which committee of commissioners could 
and should receive it. So it was it was it was good as a learning experience for me. Um, the RAO, by the way, is our rules of assembly operation, which is kind of self-explanatory in that it governs how our assembly operates, sort of the mm. nuts and bolts of when things can be done and why and how and by whom. And uh, whereas the BCO is more of how the entire church governs, and down to the local church, the offices in the church, and the RAO is a very technical rule of assembly, yeah, very yeah. technical document. Right, right. And you know, the overtures committee actually assumed this. They just took it up. It wasn't given to them, but they were operating off of an RAO provision that said BCO changes and RAO changes go to the overtures committee, and so they took it up and it proved, I think, wise because this got passed without without a hitch. And so you had, again, the potential for 11 different recommendations, a lot of concerns. The Overture Committee edited it wisely and, and passed it. And so why is this, why are we making a big deal of this? Because, as I said, this is sort of the transparency and accountability General Assembly. And what this says is that agencies and committees of the denomination, permanent committees, are supposed to record important things in their minutes but what by what standard now to their credit they believe they have been recording them and yet each year the assembly has gotten been made aware of things that weren't necessarily evident in the minutes and i'm not imputing any motives to that or any bad intentions but and and, and major policy changes i think were really the main thing that major policy changes have not often gotten approval by the assembly that they and you got to remember these are large organizations some of them multi-million dollar organizations because they're seminaries and colleges and 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 mna i don't know what their budget is it's it's and so they have to be able to make policy changes and operate they can't wait a year and then at the same time we want to be able to confidently say that these agencies and committees are operating at the will of the assembly. Yes. And if we can't review major material policy changes that they make, you know, eventually they could become a totally different organization that they were than what they were set out to do. And I'm not saying any of them have done this, but if you didn't have this review and control, they eventually could become that. Right. So it's important that And it preserves trust, right? Yes. It's not that it, we don't trust. I know some people say we don't trust, but it's not that we don't trust, but this is what preserves trust. There's there's transparency and then we can further trust what's going on so this is what it says a recording of information sufficient to demonstrate the committees or boards implementation of instructions received from Dem general assembly and of material policies and material policy changes adopted by the committee or board in that year so good there, well there were a couple th tweaks that overtures committee did to this to make it um to solve some, you know, some um, disagreement over what this would require, would this require, you know, parking lot signage changes, you know, to yeah, be parking recorded? policy changes. Yes. yes. Does the assembly need to know that? Like, no. no. If, if if Covenant Seminary wants to change their their parking policy, they don't need to report that to the assembly. So, one word that was added to this overture was material, which is a is a real legal word. There's, there's, it's not a, there's not a lot of vagueness to that. It's something that changes a substantial uh, policy of the committee. And mm -hmm. then the other provision that was changed was in that year, meaning 
these committees and agencies don't now have to go back for 50 years if, for some of them and document all these changes that have happened. Right. And when they make a change, they don't have to show the paper trail for 50 years. Yeah. So, And they just didn't see a problem with it. So what the Assembly did in two cases, so the, the one in Metro New York, and we're just stating what we know, what's been communicated. Uh, uh, Metro New York Presbyterian had a church that has had women preach during Sunday morning worship. And uh, in one case, it was a woman who was, a, I believe, an Episcopalian, I don't know if they use the word priest, or what we call pastor, and, and she preached. And on the website, it said it was the sermon. And so an investigation request came to that presbytery for the issue, and the presbytery, the church came back to the presbytery and said, this wasn't, uh, it wasn't a sermon, it was a Bible study. And... I'm not sure if they claimed it was a worship service or not a worship service, but basically they're saying what this woman did wasn't a sermon. They, they called it a Bible study. Well, then the issue came up, well, wait a minute, you celebrated the Lord's Supper during that time because it was during the normal worship service and it was this quote-unquote Bible study was given during when the sermon would be given and then following it, there was the Lord's Supper celebrated. And so one of two things happened, according to RPR, either... You had a woman preacher. You're not allowed to have that in the PCA. Or you didn't have a sermon, and yet you celebrated the Lord's Supper, which was also not allowed to happen. And so this went to uh, it went to the uh, the Standing Judicial Commission. It's uh, is it referred? Is that was the language was in by reference to? Yes. Yeah, so the Presbytery will have to stand, have to come before the SJC, and I don't think there's much spelled out beyond that other than this case gets referred to them. The interesting thing, there was debate about this on the floor of the assembly, and none of the debate, to my knowledge, was about whether or not this church should have done what they did. That was never the debate. Nobody that, excused the church that, that we know of. The debate was all around... Except in the presbytery. They excused yes, them. Yes. Everybody agreed that the church failed and the presbytery failed. That was never in question, to my knowledge... At the assembly. I didn't hear it. The only thing that was in question was how RPR went about referring this case to the SJC. And the fact that they didn't take send it back to the presbytery for a, you know and give them a year to respond and correct things. And and whether or not the RPR is allowed to, to refer this directly to the SJC, which is a BCO provision for any report. 40-5 yes. allows investigations to be taken up so yes and and the argument so on on the one side as, as kevin is saying the argument was in fairness well it's an argument also of of um brotherly sort of congeniality i guess to give metro new york the chance to correct the problem but also they were trying to make a constitutional argument saying this is not how rpr works rpr gives them a year it's not well, on the other side, and the side that, that we supported was, well, the Presbytery actually did an investigation. It wasn't it wasn't like an oversight. They investigated this. They said it was, I don't know if they said it was fine in those words, but they it was allowed to go on and nothing happened. So they've had their chance. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of of gross neglect or issue or against our Constitution that it needs to be dealt with now. We don't have a year to figure that out. 
And so that argument won the day, and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad for it because, quite frankly, and if people have followed me in my, in my writing, there's, there's a lot of, we can call something something else, and it's something else. And, it, and it's not. It's a Sunday morning worship service. It's not during the time of the sermon. It was exegetical message on a text, which the women in ministry port says uh, is what Paul is not allowing. And, and it can't be going on in, in our churches. And so this is good. And we pray for our brothers in Metro New York. And we, uh, we, we hope it will get straightened out with the SJC. And, and we'll, we'll trust the process to, to work. I mean, that's, that's all we can say at this point. The next one that came up was... And this is kind of funny because both of these SJC cases, by the way, RPR Review Pressway Records recommended this almost unanimously. It wasn't, it didn't seem like it was controversial coming out of their committee, which was a mixed committee of, of men of all kinds of persuasions within the denomination, but it, it did become a sort of a flashpoint on the floor of the assembly. It did, but the vote was not particularly close. I mean, it was, it was a fairly overwhelming vote. I don't have the numbers, but to my recollection, it was not. It was not very close, yes. but there was some. It was it was a very debate. It was a debated well, there, issue. I think there's sure. a there's a protest filed about it, right? Yes. Yes. Now, protest is just is just a documented. We disagree with this, and it goes in the minutes. There's there's no there's nothing that that happens, and men can sign on to that. the The next one coming out of RPR was this uh, congregational meeting in was it Northwest Georgia Presbytery. And it's so, I mean, I, I am just not clear on what happened, but the best I can surmise was there were, the congregational meeting to elect pastors and multiple pastors, I think, at the same congregational meeting, the, the vote wasn't carried out properly. And there were other things and other dynamics going on in the church. And anyway, it's, it, this has been flagged, and this, this case is also going to the SJC. But this case it is not the same as the previous case in that this case has been ongoing for some time. With I, RPR? With RPR. And that's what I was so, wondering, yeah. It, like, it wasn't a new case this year that got referred directly to to the SJC. Right. It went through the year-long or multiple-year-long process. It's, it's been ongoing, and now the Standing Judicial Commission, the SJC, will uh, they'll have to, I guess, appear before them. And I will say that some people felt, felt very passionately about this one. I mean, one... one gentleman said this is far worse than the case of the woman preacher and that was his argument for sending this to the it, it, this it, if we thought the woman preaching in a church that how this congregational meeting was conducted is is much more dangerous and worse and so that was I, I'm not I, I don't personally see that did you see his argument to no I did see that but I wouldn't from what I know of these cases I wouldn't agree that 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 is as egregious of a violation, and just to be clear, and one's, one's str- one is theological in nature, and yes. another is procedural, and they're both, as far as I could tell, what North West Georgia did was wrong too. But and just to be clear, the votes on both of these cases in no way decides anything about the cases, other mm. than the fact that the cases will go before the SJC and they'll make the ruling on it. Yes. So, so that those are still to happen; they haven't happened yet. Yes. That will will right. be coming. My only point was, it, obviously, there was some emotion on this to say this was a worse case than the other one. You know, so. Yeah, it's been going on longer, uh, but I, I, I couldn't speak to all the details of what happened in, right. in that case. Right, right. So uh, we're, we're going to try to speed things up as we get through, but the 
nominating committee recommendations all passed. And so how this works is the nominating committee met, I think, in March, maybe April. I think it was March. Presbyteries nominate men to serve on agencies and boards and uh, permanent committees. And those go to a nominating committee who meets beforehand. Again, this is part of that pre-assembly work that mm -hmm. just takes place. And the nominating committee makes recommendations of, of all, for all these positions. And we knew it. Actually, Richard Jones, one of our, our other one of our ruling elders, served on the nominating committee, and I, I think it's a three year appointment, so he'll be there. And he was just really encouraged with all of these. And men I've spoken to that I don't think there was a nominating committee nomination that uh, we opposed, and they all passed the assembly. And so that was really encouraging. And and by the way, there were some really good floor nominations. There were some really good friends of of, of mine and ours. Uh, were floor nominations. And so it just, why this is important is because it speaks to the health of the denomination. Qualified men are being nominated to serve on these boards and agencies or agencies and uh, permanent committees to help guide things, help, help set vision, help uh, ensure that things are being done in line with our confession and constitution. Yeah. So the you know, many, most of these agencies, if not all of them, have actual full-time employees. So they would have the most direct oversight over the, you know, the people who work for these different yes. agencies and committees. And interaction with them. Yes. And, yeah. they, and they really, see, although everything, again, through the Committee of Commissioners gets reviewed by the Assembly, it's these permanent committees that really help steer these different organizations. Right, like, like Covenant... Theological Seminary's board, Covenant College's board, or the SJC, the Standing Judicial Commission. We elected really good men for that. One thing Kevin and I left out from the video and podcast we recorded that I'm inserting right here, which is very short, but is that the RUF affiliation agreement was not approved at this General Assembly. It hadn't even come to the General Assembly to be approved, and that was flagged in the Committee of Commissioners. And the Assembly ruled that RUF needs to rework their brand new affiliation agreement and send it to the Assembly next year for approval. And this is a good thing. So let me explain that briefly here. So RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, which is an amazing ministry of the PCA, I think has 400 campus ministers around the country. Every time I say that, it's hard to believe. And so that just shows the amount of mission going on in our college campuses in this country and so we are grateful that we have ministers that are ordained in the pca on these college campuses and the the agreement this year which tries to standardize all the various agreements that they've had for five decades has been circulated to presbyteries for signing of these contracts and the problem is there are a number of substantial questions of what's in these contracts Many presbyteries haven't realized this, but again, it was flagged in the Committee of Commissioners. And one of the main issues is it seems like RUF, as the employer, has the right to fire and transfer campus ministers from certain chapters in, in universities. And of course, presbyteries, and I've even heard from RUF ministers, that raises concerns. I believe, I believe it's mainly an administrative thing going on here, but it raises m many concerns. Uh, one RUF minister said, does that mean RUF can transfer me from the 
RUF chapter that I planted and started and ministered in for a number of years. And according to the contract, it seems like they can do that even without the presbyteries or the minister's agreement or approval. And so this is a good thing that the assembly flagged this. Policies of our agencies and permanent committees should be approved by the General Assembly. Not every single thing, like the anecdote that was used, like a parking policy on Covenant College's campus. We're not talking about that. Agencies and permanent committees need to operate all year round, and they can't wait a year for approval. But substantial things like contracts and relationships between presbyteries and uh, between an organization agency or committee and the denomination absolutely need to get approved by the assembly. I said this in this video already. Palmer Robertson has mentioned how that's part of the, the founding of the PCA was to give the assembly oversight over what's going on in these places. So this is good. This is oversight. Uh, no, I have no ill will to RUF. I sincerely appreciate their ministry in very difficult places. This is mission, and we need that. But uh, it is a, it is right and fitting that the assembly approve of this policy change, particularly since if press juries don't sign this, I guess in theory that means RUF can pull the chapter from within their bounds. That doesn't seem right either. And so this is a good thing. So now we're going to get into the overtures, and this is what typically people are waiting for in the assembly. But I hope you see that we just spent so much time on all these very, very important things that are um, speaking to our denominational health. And I, I just think that's a good way to, to view it. And so the first overture we want to talk about is Overture 23. This was placed to replace really Overture 15 that failed this past year. And there was a number of overtures that were, went up to the General Assembly. Uh, Meadowview, our own church, sent up an overture, and it almost passed our presbytery, which, um, you know, our presbytery typically doesn't pass these very easily, and so it was, an, it was a tie vote. And, but our overture did not pass the General Assembly. It was referred to this one. This is the one that passed. I'm going to put it on the screen. All right, Kev, you want to explain this one? Yeah, so overture 23 deals with the qualifications for um, candidates for church office. And... I'm only going to read uh, the modifications that would go to in BCO 8-2, which addresses the office of elder, but similar language was also added to BCO 9-2 for the office of deacon. And so 8-2 would, would, in this proposed um, um, overture, read as follows. He that fills this office should possess a competency of human learning and be blameless in life, sound in the faith, and apt to teach. He should exhibit a sobriety and holiness of life becoming the gospel. And here's the added sentence. He should conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity in his descriptions of himself and in his convictions, character, and conduct. And then the last sentence, which was from the old uh, reading of this section, he should rule his own house well and should have a good report of them that are outside the church. So, again, this addresses the topic of sexuality in the ordained offices of the church. And there were, I don't know if you remember how many overtures that addressed this topic, but they were all referred... Maybe four more. They were all referred to this one. And right. that included ours. That included ours, right, right. And this one is trying to, I mean, you, you see, by the way, the vote was... Uh, 
1,673 to 223. So it passed overwhelmingly. It needs to pass two-thirds of the presbyteries. This, what, what is different about this one than the two that we read you from last year that are now in our Constitution is last year's dealt with the fact, like the, the acknowledgement that indwelling sin is to be called rightly sin. So a sin, our sin nature produces desires in us, and those desires are sinful. And we have a hope of progressive sanctification. We, by the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, can grow in our holiness and more and more mortify that desire while imperfection in this life will still exist as part, you know. But this one really tries to get at what men have been arguing as the identity piece or the self-description piece, but really have been struggling in the denomination to define what we mean by that. And so this, I believe this came out of uh, First Pres Jackson. I, I believe I, I believe that was where it was. I, th I think David Strain um, helped craft it or was a part of it. And this one really tries to get at what we mean when people call themselves by certain categories of sin. Yeah, and obviously this is a very um, sort of a flashpoint topic in our culture and how it's, you know, how these ways that people define and describe themselves is seeping into the church. And again, mm -hmm. this is not, these are not vows that members take. These, these are descriptions and, and um, qualifications for ordained office. And yes. There is a higher standard there. Does it, so I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a great point, Kevin. So then, so that one, uh, we're encouraged by it. It's not as it's not as specific, maybe as, as some people may want, but I think we we keep adding good things. This builds on last year, so I guess that's the way I'd say. Um, Overture twenty six was titles for officers this past, right? Yes, uh, fourteen twenty seven to four eighty one. So it's still passed by a good majority, but there was some you know uh, some no votes there. And this is all about titles for officers. So you may know in the denomination, even conservative churches, you have people being called pastor who are not a pastor. And, and, and even sometimes like that's the youth pastor. And that man may not be ordained. And while many people understand and know what's going on in that, it also can add confusion. That man cannot serve the sacraments. That man, there's, there's a number of things he's, he's not able to do. He's not fully trained to be a minister uh, in the sense of our polity. And I think maybe the opponents of this overture are f afraid of policing language, but this is a very narrow overture. So the added uh, phrase to BCO's, I think it was 7-2, the added sentence at the end is, furthermore, unordained people shall, was a typo in, yes. in what we were actually given on the, right. on the floor. Right, I think it's shall. Shall not be referred to as, or given the titles connected to the ecclesial offices of pastor, elder, or deacon. So I think the the three words are important, but the also the phrase the ecclesial offices are are important. I mean, these are well defined Conne offices. Yeah, right. Well, notice too, or connected to, <laughs> or given the titles connected to. Uh, the, the the deacon one is is the other issue, and I know as as I've described that people are probably saying, why are you talking about youth pastors? This is all about deacons. So you may know in in a number of churches. So our, the PCA we are allowed to have assistance to the diaconate. They're not assistant deacons. They're assistants to the diaconate. Uh, they are not deacons. They are not actually members of the diaconate. They're assistants to the diaconate. They can be men or women. 
And what has happened is a number of churches, in, in their desire to recognize the giftings of our sisters in Christ, have put them in a position where they're calling them deacons, these, these assistants to the diaconate. Or something else that's happened is, is they're not ordaining anybody, men or women, and they're just calling them all you know, deacons and deaconesses, but the, the, the office of deacon is an office. It's an ordained office. It's a calling on a man's life, and we want to uh, protect the polity of our church for the glory of Christ. He's the king of the church. And so this is an attempt to protect that. So this is the transgenderism yes. statement, which is really against not... Uh, it's less a statement against transgenderism and more a statement against surgical and medical gender reassignment. Yes, and and it especially of minors is there. So there's so there's no actual statement exists. So that is yet to be drafted. So this passed. You can see it was closer. The chair of the overtures committee tried to order them in in what he thought would be the ascending order of of controversy. So the least controversial ones were taken for, and I thought he did a really good job because you'll see these votes do get closer as we progress because we we're taking these in the order they came to the floor. Oh, is that how we do? Okay, yeah, very good. And so, and he he was doing it based on his right. his, his estimation. And so this one passed uh, 1089 to 793, and so unlike overtures that address the BCO, this overture doesn't have to pass presbyteries. It takes effect immediately. And I believe this was a change that the Overtures Committee made in that there is no statement. What they are doing is empowering the moderator to appoint a commission to draft this statement. And they've only tasked this commission with what it's supposed to cover, which is... Uh, yeah, this is the language. That, this was what was passed. This, this is the, what, what they're charged to do. And... What I'll say is, so you can go on the, the website, the link will probably be in the, in the article that is associated with this video, and uh, you can see the language that was originally sent up as an overture, and what happened is initially that language was, they, they tried to work on it, and there were some questions and problems, like they want this to be sent to every, basically every politician in the United States, from the federal government to the state governments, and the stated clerk communicated that last year that posed a lot of problems with the uh, the statement against abortion, because state legislatures and and state senators and and they can't receive mail across state lines. Now, I don't know if I don't know the legalities of that. I'm communicating what was communicated to us. So there was some questions on how the overture and the statement was written. Can can the assembly actually tell the clerk uh, how are they going to get how are they going to disseminate this and then other people were concerned about some of the way that it was presented and so it actually originally was referred back to the presbytery which meant it's going back and you guys got to work on it and bring it back next year but somebody moved to reconsider it and so this is a parliamentary procedure and if if you voted for something for the winning vote and you you've decided you want to reconsider it you can make that motion and you could vote on it again and, and this was in the overtures committee the overtures committee happened. right and so what they decided is let's not punt on this because this is a serious thing in our in our country today destroying a generation uh, let us send this to the the general assembly but rather than approve the statement that was sent up to us to up to us let's 
have a committee appointed to draft a statement and and let I think the moderator appoint that commission a commission actually commission and that's one of the things I learned sitting in on overtures where there's 120 commissioners present and sometimes they are able to amend the language of a particular overture to make it satisfy enough commissioners for it to pass but in something like this where it is a sort of a, a complex statement you're trying to draft and trying to do it very carefully having 120 men try to do it by making individual motions and amendments on the floor of the overtures committee it just is too cumbersome and I think that's why they, this was a, a good decision to a point who can really fine-tune the language yes yes and I think you made a good point on the drive the, the 10 hour 11 hour drive back uh, somewhere between Bucky's and Smoky Mountain Knife Works. <laughs> Some of our stock. Our two stops. Yes. Uh, what, what, what was that point you had made about, about why this is actually important? Because this puts our denomination on record in opposition to these surgical and medical gender reassignments, which would give the member in the pew something to to rest on knowing they have to go into the into the world where they may be you know whether they're in the medical profession or in any other associated profession where they may be pressured to either approve of this or you know in some way you know they have something to fall back on like my denomination has a stated stance like, you know I can right. I can object conscientiously object, object to this and I'm, it's not just me on my own with this opinion. I yes. have a denomination who's worked on this and has drafted this statement against it. Mm, very good. Now, some people were upset that we didn't just approve the statement that came up to us, but I will point out, for everybody that wants this, the statement that was originally there was limited to gender reassignment of minors. And notice the bold and highlighted text that we, are, we have commissioned this commission to do condemning the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment, especially of minors. And so basically it's it's all gender reassignment. So it's actually a much stronger statement that we're we're asking the government to do. And so we will we'll move on. Um, oh we're almost kind of done I guess. Uh, Overture 28 was a message to all churches and actually uh, go ahead and read that and then we'll, we'll show the poster behind me. Therefore, be it resolved that the 50th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America declare the message to all churches a faithful expression of biblical polity which shaped the founding of the PCA in 1973, and, therefore, the G General Assembly directs its stated clerk to send this letter, the message of, to all churches, to the Presbyterian Church USA via its stated clerk as a communication from a loving daughter to a prodigal mother. Okay, so behind me, it looks like the Declaration of Independence, and one of the speakers on, uh, for the All-Assembly Seminar had kind of mentioned they felt like it was a Declaration of Independence. But you see the signatures there, and it's just a wonderful statement. And as part of the souvenirs that they were giving out at the Assembly, we all got a copy of this, uh, much smaller form, uh, almost scroll-like. But we have it's actually going to go on my desk here. I'll stick it under the glass. Uh, one of these, I've been thinking of reading this for one of these episodes because it is it is rather lengthy. I'm sure it would take me five or ten minutes to read, maybe ten minutes. So uh, this is good. It's a reaffirmation in our 50th year about why we were founded as a denomination in the words of our founders. And 
I just commend to you, there was a, I mentioned it, a session on Wednesday morning that was a, an all-assembly seminar by our founders who signed this document. I, I think all four of them had signed it, I think they said. And so here they are 50 years later with a message to the denomination. And O. Palmer Robertson was the fourth of the of the group, and, and you know our, how we feel about Dr. Robertson. And, man, he just preached. He just preached for 15 minutes, and it was yeah. awesome. It was great to hear their perspective and some of the stories behind yes. the founding of the yes. denomination. Uh, probably, hopefully, we can go through some of these quickly. Um, Overture 14 uh, and, and another one, I think Overture 10 was related to it, added language to restrict the ability of Christian lawyers from serving as counsel in the church courts. And so we will tell you this, it failed, right? The yes. assembly, it failed out of overtures, and then we held their recommendation. So there, there was a, a, a move that would, uh, our summary was, this allows professional lawyers to participate in the church courts without undue restrictions. The language of the proposal would have severely restricted ability of those elders in the legal profession from serving. Language in BCO already prohibits paid counsel. So that's our, that's our assessment of it. I think Kevin wrote that uh, on the drive back, the 10 hours we were very productive. <laughs> but the idea is, if you are facing charges in a case in, in the courts of the church, church discipline, you can have help. You don't have to go into that alone. And, and, and the whole process is made to help a person. Um, and so you could bring help. But what if the person you want to bring for help, who's a Christian, who has standing in the court, who's a member of the church, but they're a lawyer, can they help you? And and that's fairly common. I mean, being in the PCA for 20, a lot of 20 years or so, there are a lot of lawyers and they're very uh, competent at, yes. at, at, helping. at helping in these church courts. Right. And the way this overture was drafted, it would have restricted them significantly from, it didn't outright ban lawyers from helping, but the language of, and how it was drafted, they couldn't have used really any of their professional uh, tools professional tools from where they were. And... Um, so the, and it's important to know that the BCO already prohibits you know you paying external for external counsel in a church court like mm. you would do in a civil court. Yes, there there's one that was referred back to uh, the overtures authors, which I would assume was a presbytery. That was but, that was a. Presbyterian. Yeah. So this is what it said. We didn't. So this one did not pass the assembly. It was referred back for better language. It it was going to be in BCO fifty three. Is that right? BCO fifty three. Seems enough. Yes. Okay. Uh, no woman shall preach, exhort, or teach at a public assembly, including assemblies of chapel services or chapel services, where men are present in any congregation educational institution or gathering overseen by the church or one of its agencies. This seeks to probably address what was going on in Metro New York, but also what is going on in uh, Covenant College, where they have chapel services, and during those chapel services, they often have women uh, teaching the Word as the primary teacher of the Word for that service, um, expositing a text. It's it's not that they're giving testimonies and then they're associating scripture or quoting scripture, which I, in my estimation is fine. I mean, women are allowed to give testimonies and quote scripture, but the teaching of a text in the context of, of a worship gathering, this was seeking to, to prohibit that. No women shall preach, exhort, or teach. 
And then it's just a public worship assembly, including assemblies or chapel services where men are present in any congregation, educational institution, or gathering overseen by the church or one of its agencies. And the reason it was sent back is there were some clunky things in the language there about exhorting, for instance, and, and how that could be taken, uh, but also where men are present. And so uh, what, what would be a case that somebody could use it improperly? So, like, uh, theoretically, a, a woman's conference. So you have 100% women in attendance, and it's a woman teaching them, and a man's running the sound booth, for instance. <laughs> right. So that was a, a scenario that I heard brought up. By the letter of the law of this. Yes. So, I mean, I agree. This language could be refined. Um, and it was sent back, and I do believe, actually, it was to a session. It was not it was to a presentation. And that was the other thing. They Typically, they like, Overtures Committee and the Assembly likes things to pass a presbytery because it, show, it, it, it adds validity that there was more than one session looking at this. Mm -hmm. uh, in some presbyteries, that's kind of impossible because the, the divide in, in them is, is so. I'm all for sessions sending Overtures up. So the refer back uh, ruling on this is supposed to be language saying, hey, this subject that you're trying to address, this issue, we agree with you in in principle, but you need to you need to refine this. That's that's sort of the difference between a no and a refer back. Whereas a no is is just a hard we don't want this, and a refer back is you need to work on this. Right. But we don't necessarily right. disagree with where yeah. you're trying to go. Right. It, it it's it's important. Um, we want consistency in our denomination and our institutions. You know, you and I are both raising covenant children. I, I was, uh, mine is going to be looking at colleges pretty soon. It, it's it's hard to think that our denominational college is, um, is doing things contrary to our understanding and the women in ministry, uh, AIC reports understanding of of what Paul is prohibiting. It's it's the authoritative exposition of the Word of God before a group of gathered Christians, uh, whether it's an assembled body, uh, whether it's a Sunday morning worship service or not. And so I'm glad the denomination is working on this. And this is, you know, sometimes it's frustrating we have to work on these things, but this is Presbyterianism. And it, it's good because it helps us refine and fine-tune following what we believe is a denomination. The last one, Overture 13, was the most hotly debated thing on the... Um, in the assembly, and this is around abuse. But one of the things that was really hotly debated is it was going to allow atheists to um, be serve as witnesses in trials before in church discipline cases. And uh, the reason atheists weren't allowed in the past is because they don't believe in God, they don't believe in his objective standard, and they don't believe in God's judgment. And so atheists have not been allowed to be witnesses in the case in cases. And so this was debated. It was voted down. It was That was the recommendation of the Overtures Committee. But there was a minority report, which means a, a significant group on the Overtures Committee disagreed with the majority, and they produced a minority report, which serves as a substitute motion for the Overtures Committee uh, recommendation. So the Overtures Committee says, uh, th was this just referred back to Presbytery, Kevin, or it was... It was voted negative. I believe it was voted negative. Okay. And it was a close vote. I believe when the when the substitute motion of the minority report was presented, it it only failed by like hundred and fifty votes. And so it was it was the closest vote on the floor. It was the most debated topic of the whole assembly. And so there's no doubt so it wasn't I don't believe it was referred back, but it will this it's gonna, topic will be coming to, back. It needs yes. to come back because there's a lot of other things in there. 
and the way this was painted, particularly by the person who presented the minority report, is that we are somehow unloving to abuse victims by not allowing atheists to, to testify in, in church courts. And the, 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 there was a lot of emotion and passion in the speech because of care for victims. But the truth is, and the, um, one of the speeches said this, there has never been one case in the PCA where this was an issue. Mm -hmm. Now, if an atheist makes an allegation against somebody in the PCA, a pastor, for instance, or an, an atheist produces evidence, like, say, uh, the police officer that collected the rape kit for a woman, the evidence is admissible, but all we're saying is we're not going to allow the atheist to stand in a court of Jesus Christ and swear an oath. Yes. It, it really is... It really is, is to me, I, it's inconceivable that we would allow a person in our church court. Again, this is not a civil case. Like in the courts of the church, that an atheist that we would allow them to swear an oath doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And like you said, it's a court. You've had told me on our drive here. It's a court in which they don't have standing. They are not a member. You know, every other, you know, say a civil court, the the power of the sword exists behind that court. Yes. And, and that power is not in the church court. They don't have this, a standing. And so that's a legitimate argument. There's also, again, like you said, there's still the work that needs to be done. We're not saying no work needs to be done on this on this topic. But this was a very broad, far-reaching um, right. uh, change. It, it, needs to, it just needs to go back and get better and come back with the, with the right thing. And, you know, the question is, what if, what if a pastor abuses... An atheist. Well, if somebody came to me and said, "There's a pastor at your church who has committed this crime," I'm I'm calling the police yeah. because there's re there's spheres, and that is a part of the civil sphere for the police to deal with that. And yes, there's an ecclesiastical ecclesial component to this where church discipline will need to be done, but then the police. Evidence report investigation can be used in, as evidence in our courts. And should be. Yes. And should be, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, and that's why we said at the beginning of this, like, we have passed provisions to help victims of abuse. We are not, we're, but but this one wasn't right on a number. Uh, it, it wasn't well-crafted, in, in our opinion. So we're glad it's, the presbyteries can work on it again for next year. So that that is the major decisions that were made. One thing that Kevin and I didn't discuss, and we had meant to, was the Gospel Reformation Network luncheon. And what you'll see at General Assembly are there are various luncheons for various groups, like Mission to North America will have a luncheon. Covenant Theological Seminary may have a dinner or a luncheon. Well, the Gospel Reformation Network had a luncheon on Wednesday where 700 people showed up. Now, there was anywhere from 2,100 to 23 or 2,400 commissioners at the assembly, meaning that almost one-third of the General Assembly was at the Gospel Reformation Network luncheon, the GRN. Uh, we are supporters of the GRN at Meadowview. I'm a member of the General Council, and so we thought this was uh, a significant event because it is the Gospel Reformation Network's mission is to cultivate healthy Reformed churches within the Presbyterian Church in America, and you had 700 people come to share in that vision and mission, and so that is a really encouraging good thing. We heard uh, Mel Duncan spoke uh, for, for a while, sharing about the GRN's mission, and then Dr. John Payne, the executive director, shared and really 
honored Dr. Harry Reader, our general, and his uh, family was there. And it really was uh, honoring this man of God who's gone to be with the Lord, but also had a lot of Harry's sayings and phrases that just related to what we're about in the PCA. So we uh, just thought that was an exciting time, a touching time, a memorable time, and a significant time. So I wanted to share that. And here, here's just a clip of what the room looked like if you're watching on YouTube. It's going to be great. I will say there were just phenomenal worship services, wonderful sermons preached each night. I know, you, you know, I've told you the Ligon Duncan one was just really impactful for me. He said, be strong in the Lord or you will fear man. He's talking to pastor. Just good. Just good. Good time. It was sad for me to leave. I don't know if you could tell. It was it was because a lot of these guys I won't see for a year, and I might not see them next year if they don't go, or if some, you know the Lord tarries, or uh, and, but but I go and they don't, or vice versa. And I, it's kind of sad to me. You meet some cool people that you just God is good. That His church is sweet. It, it's definitely a gift. Yeah. And it, but it is great. You know, in this day when we have the internet and social media, we can keep up. You know, it doesn't have to be. A whole year before you can even really communicate with them or um you know run things by them and no that's right and so it's great it, it just deepens and strengthens relationships that already have and and hopefully next year they'll be back and yeah you do it again definitely it was a it was a sweet time a less contentious time than some of the previous ones i think um a lot more unity i i feel really good about the pca poised for the next 50 years uh, and, and I'm looking forward to next year's General Assembly already. And it's in Virginia. We're in North Carolina. It's going to be, I don't know, what do you think, four hours away? Something like that. No Buckies in between here There's and there. There's no Buckies. Man, but, well, there might be. There, there might be a Buckies. Okay. Yes. I thought they were just south of us mostly. But. Yes. Well, do you have any final words? No, just, I just want to say thank you for, you know, and taking me along. I mean, you, you knew a lot of the people. You introduced me to a lot of the people. So that was great. It's really, yeah. um, you know, I couldn't imagine going to my first General Assembly alone. Like, that would be that would be difficult. And so I think it is good to, to have connections ahead of time or have someone take you with them who's been before, who knows the people, knows how things operate. And um, so just thank you for... Oh, you're welcome, man. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that, that goes to some of the point of Presbyterian Reformed Churchmen. Like, if you're a teaching elder, listen to this. Listen to this. Take your ruling elders with you and just in, introduce them to people. Buy them the tickets to the events that they need. Take, you know, include them. Uh, I've been so enriched by so many of the ruling elders that we've hung out with. And I was so excited to introduce Kevin to the ruling elders that I that I know. And so there, uh, yes, and to Meadowview, if, Meadowview, if you're listening, thank you for sending us. Uh, if anybody else is listening, we had another commissioner, Greg Green, who was supposed to go, and uh, his mother had a near-fatal car accident literally days before General Assembly and was in the ICU, um, broke both legs, broke her chest. She's 87 years old, so uh, we couldn't replace him in time. Otherwise, we always bring at least two and then we had another ruling elder that was supposed to come and it would have been uh there would have been three of us and so uh we did have our associate pastor pablo ayan come he i think is back he's still over there with his family in Mem walking in memphis yeah. and so um 
but we look forward to next year. And when we're in Virginia, we'll probably bring an, an, a number of guys. So once again, Medovi, thank you for sending us. Thank you for caring about the denomination. I know you love these updates, and this is going to serve that way. And we will uh, we'll also be communicating on, on Sunday morning. And so with that, this is Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen. Uh, oh, yeah, I want to give another plug. I have set up a number of great interviews because I got to meet some really cool people. And uh, and and I got to say thank you. If 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 John Bice is listening, thank you, Mr. Moderator. You're still Mr. Moderator to me. And thank you for all the introductions. Uh, and, and I'm going to be looking forward to interviewing those those men coming up. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week. We thank, thank you for the time to be together as brothers in Christ with all of our families that are here. Lord, we thank you for the work you've enabled us to do. We pray that you would use this time for your glory, for the strengthening of our churches back home. We pray, Father, that as we go home, that we would have a passion to reach the lost for Jesus Christ, that we would desire to uphold your truth and to spread the good news to all who come into our presence, into our midst, across our scenes. Lord, we pray that you would continue to use the PCA, that you would continue to give to us wisdom, insight, a love for you, a love for one another, a love for the lost. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you for this week. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Lord, bring us back safely together next year in Richmond. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior, our great high priest. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, fathers and brothers. Microphone four, for what purpose do you rise? Thank you, Mr. Moderator, teaching elder Ray Heipel, Pittsburgh Presbytery. I would ask that the General Assembly create a position of moderator of the General Assembly, and I would move that we would elect teaching elder Fred Greco to that position. <laughs> Sir, you are gracious and kind, but out of order. Thank you, Mr. Moderator. You all have been very kind. Uh, it has been my exquisite pleasure to serve as your moderator. If you have seen my humor, it has been because I have enjoyed every minute of this assembly. Thank you, fathers and brothers. I want to commend you for the spirit of the debate. It was gracious. It was kind. It was thoughtful. You should be commended for your service to the Church of Jesus Christ. I challenge you as you go back to your churches and presbyteries to reflect that same service and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ where you are. Thank you very much. I will now take a motion to adjourn. Is there a second? Seeing no objection, by virtue of the authority delegated to me by the church, I do now declare that the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America is adjourned to reconvene in Richmond, Virginia on the 11th day of June, 2024, of the year of our Lord. You may have seen this on YouTube. I left my name off of it, so as not to get anyone, any 31-2 uh, inquiries sent to my presbytery, but Ryan D.C. assured me he would not send a letter to my clerk. <laughs> so, I've been uh, slowly talking, man, there are so many phones out there. Well, my wife told me not to do this, but a couple weeks ago, 
I texted Brad Isbell and I said, call me when you get a chance. And he called me about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. And he said, what's up? I said, I will make you this offer one time. <laughs> and he said, of course. I love bad music. <laughs> I said, all right, great. So um, I don't practice this every day, mind you. So I invite you all to sing along and to help me. But I don't know how the sound system's gonna sound. I can't really hear much of anything. So we're just gonna go for it and hope for the best. Did tomorrow all the blogs were gone, I wrote more in this life. But I could sing some songs and hymns with cuffing children and my wife. I thank my blessed Lord to be ordained here today. Cause the BCO's for freedom, and we can't take that away. To defend her at GA Cause there ain't no doubt I love this church God bless the PCA So many of you know this <laughs> The Great Lakes up in Michigan To the Valley of Tennessee Across the hills and plains in Oklahoma From sea to shining sea From Philly down to Houston Pacific Northwest to Gulf Stream There's decency in order here So it's time to confess and say All together now I'm proud to be Presbyterian The man who wrote the PCO for me, but I'm glad.